showed a hell of a lot of restraint. Again, you totally could have fucking killed everybody involved in that that was not an American, and and you didn't, and you did save it from being an international incident. And then the next day, we went and paid him a visit with some very interesting Afghan intelligence people. The car was on fire, flames were coming through the windows. What was the conversation like in the car? So the first thought was, okay, how are we gonna get out of here? So I clicked the button and said, we're hit, we're on fire. You need to get the fuck out now. How many operators are on the ground? Me and my partner who had unasked the vehicle unexpectedly was looking everywhere for my rifle, which I could not find. You didn't have your rifle, but this, so this dude's head, so he looked into his eyes again for a second time. He just, you know. Yep. I needed backup. I called you. We were cleared hot just to go in there and smoke his ass and let you out of there. I mean, he was he was pissed. I mean, I kicked the shit out of him right in front of all his fucking buddies before he showed up. His whole face just sitting on the ground. Got a gory but great picture of the the dude's last moment on earth. He said, yes, ma'am, but um, he's not here. He's at the hospital. And I screamed, he's at the hospital? He said, yes, ma'am, he's been shot in the head. I already know the answer to this, but you need to say it. Are you innocent? Fuck yeah, I'm innocent. Welcome back to The Sean Ryan Show. Our last episode, once again, we absolutely crushed the ratings across the boards. We were on the top charts on iTunes. Thank you everyone for all the support and leaving the reviews on iTunes. If you haven't done it yet, please head over there to iTunes. Leave us a review. Even if it's just one word, that's all we're asking. If you're watching this on YouTube, smash that like button, leave us a comment. Stay tuned. After this episode, we're going to have a debrief covering the whole experience. And with that being said, let's move on to episode 003. I brought you guys a former Green Beret. He's got over 20 combat deployments with the CIA. He's also known as Headshot Don. Guys, Don has a really bad traumatic brain injury. There's no fucking time for fluff in this one. We dive right the fuck in. Everyone, this is better than entertainment. This is the real fucking thing. Please welcome to the show my very good friend, Mr. Don Bradley. Don, welcome to the Sean Ryan Show. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me back. My pleasure. Your story is way out of my wheelhouse. Usually I go in kind of a timeline where we started childhood, move on to military career, move on to CIA or anything after that, hit transition and kind of what you're doing now. But your story is completely different. And 
you got shot in the head. You have a very severe TBI, traumatic brain injury. We tried this yesterday. You only have so much brain power a day before things start slipping, unfortunately. So we're just going to cut right to the chase. We're going to want to touch a little bit on, you know, very briefly on your military background and your well-respected career within the CIA. And then I want to move to stateside. Okay. So let's start off. You have four call signs or your name plus three call signs. Right. Yep. You started off at the CIA with the call sign Vincent. Uh -huh. Where did that come from? So Vincent back way back when they first started making motorcycles for racing, the baddest motorcycle ever made at that time was made by a company called Vincent. And you're a gearhead. I've been riding since I was four years old. I got on my first mini bike. Damn, that's a long time. Yep. <laughs> but um, yep. so you got Vincent, that didn't stick very long. Let's talk about how you got the call sign Lucky. Okay. Yeah, I was only Vincent for a hot minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then one day down in Kandahar, we were doing a move because we weren't on CAF, which is Kandahar Airfield, where the military are. Uh, we had to move some people to the airfield. And on the way, my vehicle got rammed by a suicide bomber driving a car loaded with explosives, which we know in our terminology as VBED or Vehicle Borne Improvised Explosive Device. I remember when that happened. I just showed up to Kandahar. We were actually just looking at one of my platoon plaques. My first combat deployment was SEAL Team 2. We show up. One of the first things that we get is a brief on what had happened, I believe at the time was yesterday. And they show us this nice SUV, which was nice. And then they showed us what it looked like now after you got hit with a car bomb. We didn't know each other at the time, but I think the only way to describe that vehicle, and if you're watching this on YouTube, it's on the screen right now, it looks like an asshole that had just been turned inside out and thrown <laughs> on the side of the road. And you and everybody in that car survived that. Yeah, we got out alive. Why don't you walk us through a little bit about um, what's it like to go flying through the air in a armored SUV in one of the most dangerous provinces in Afghanistan? Well, it was interesting to say the least. Um, we did have our escorts with us, which are the locals that we basically hire and train up and turn them into professionals. And coincidentally, I had had them out on the range doing what any good SF guy would do, which is train them up, make sure they're proficient. And we were doing movement to contact drills in vehicles. So here we are driving down the road now, and this dude rams into the side of the vehicle, blows us up. We roll over, we land first on my side. Then we went to the roof, which had a sunroof. I don't know why because you couldn't reach it. <laughs> there was armor on the roof as well, uh, but that made the most horrible sound that I'll never forget as the glass shattered and drug along the metal of the roof as we were sliding on the roof. Then of course we ended up on the passenger side 
perched on the passenger side facing 180 degrees from our original direction of travel. I, I can't like get over that you actually survived that because I still, I mean, when I got into country, it was right after Red Wing had happened. Yeah. Got some briefings up north there. Then we moved down to Kandahar to the agency base. I saw that car thinking, holy shit, like this is, shit's getting real fucking real, real fast. And I just, I can't believe anybody walked out of that car. Were you out of it for any amount of time after that had happened? I mean, did you have, were you conscious? So when the car got hit, this was actually a very new, I won't say the brand because they, you know, the agency mm -hmm. doesn't like that. Um, but it was an SUV, very, very new, low miles. Um, and when we got hit, it was very well armored. So the pressure literally forced everything tight into a box and we felt next to nothing. However, when you slam onto one side, roll onto the roof, spin around and end up on the other side, which by the way, during that, the window did what it was designed to do, which is fall out onto the ground. Now we got flames coming in there with us as well. But until up until that moment, we were sealed. You know, we were very, very well protected inside. So the real damage came from the things that we had inside, like weapons, uh, personal belonging, equipment in the car. During that rollover, that shit was flying around in there. So people got hit by the debris that was stowed nicely and secured for what we thought was fine at the time. We made some changes after that. But the only real injuries was the people that got hit by things flying around in the car. So it was nothing serious at no, all? No, yeah, just uh, some bumps, bruises, some stitches. I think there was maybe one cracked rib. Um, I honestly had not a scratch on me, which is why they are like, put out a, a worldwide communication saying this person, who of course was me, just not my actual name, was from that moment on, call sign lucky. Wow, that's, and that stuck with you for a very long time. Until I got shot in the head. Sometimes people see these cars coming, a, a car bomb, motorcycle bomb, whatever. Did you, Sometimes they know it's about to happen, sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. I guess you know, maybe that probably has something to do with how heads up you are on the road. Did you know what was about to happen or did it take you completely by surprise? So I actually saw the dude because he tried to pull out in between. I was the follow vehicle. Did you guys make eye to eye contact? Yeah, I literally looked right at this dude and tapped my horn because I thought he was just another Afghan trying to pull out because he thought it was clear. And we really didn't want him in between us because once we hit the edge of town, we we're gonna be hauling ass with a nice loose follow, but we didn't want to have that other vehicle. I mean, it, it was just more of a convenience thing than anything else. So he had pulled off to the side of the road, complying with our, our lead vehicle, which was the local's gun truck. So everybody's, you know, 
everything was pretty cool. But when he started to nudge forward like he was going to pull out, I tapped the horn twice and he looked right at me and he gave me one of them really standard patented Afghan bows and the hand up like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, we've all, if you've worked in that environment, you've seen it a million times because there's people everywhere you go. And then when we went by him, lo and behold, this dude driving this just piece of crap car, which again, you see all over there, he didn't give me any indication that he was a threat. I did see him. He looked right at me. I looked right at him and I was like, cool. He was cool. And then he freaking rams us and blows us up. It's like, okay. So he didn't show any, he no. wasn't, none of the typical signs, not, he wasn't nervous, wasn't sweating, none of that shit. Nope. He just. Because I saw him clear as day. The car wasn't like all weighted funny on one side. Um, it was masked very well because I was aware of the threats and I was looking for the threats and he got one by and bam, there we go. Son of a bitch. Was there any, was there any type of a follow on attack? A lot of times when, a lot of times that's an initiation to something a lot bigger. Right, right. There was not. Uh, we literally, the, the escorts, like I said, did their job. Nobody took a shot at us. Um, not I, one shot. Not one shot. There was no additional follow-on. It wasn't an initiator to a bigger ambush, which is what you're kind of referring to there. Uh, there, there was nothing. It was just one dude in a car bomb trying to make a point. In the vehicle, before you exited, you had mentioned that the car was on fire, flames were coming through the windows. How long... Like, what was the conversation like in the car with with your riding partner and any other assets or special people, we'll just call them? Sure. What was that conversation like? So, like I mentioned, we ended up on the passenger side. So we're literally, the vehicle's like this, and I'm turned sideways looking out. Um, the first thought was, Everything to my right, which was the bottom of the vehicle and the driver's side, which is now straight up in the air, had big flames coming around it. Um, so the first thought was, okay, how are we gonna get out of here? And then my passenger uh, uh, shotgun seat, who was a staffer for the agency, he said the words really fast and loud, the windshield! And I looked forward, and that's when I realized the flames were starting to come in because there was no windshield. And he went, he was gone. <laughs> so it was just me and our passengers. From that point on, I was like, okay, he's doing something else. I guess we're on our own here. Yeah. Uh, I did a quick self-assessment, you know, when it first happened. Like, all right, my head seems fine. Arms, fingers are still there. Legs fell around, didn't feel anything wet. I saw my microphone which was turned on to our internal channel. So I clicked the button and said, we're hit. And then from that point, I started talking to the passengers, making sure they're okay. Hey, you guys all right? Everything okay? Um, one of them was pretty dazed. The other one was shocked, but otherwise fine. So I talked them through coming out literally step-by-step, step, come on out, you know, here, I want you to do this, do this. And uh, the one of my partners, the guy who was the right seat 
in the lead vehicle, uh, who goes by Duck, or did at the time went by call sign Duck, former SEAL, he was Johnny on the spot, man, right there at the corner of our vehicle saying, come to me, come to me while I'm talking them out. Um, one of the passengers was insistent he needed to get something out of the back, and I had to eventually tell him the third time it was, I said, "We, you need to get out. I said, look, we're on fire. You need to get the fuck out now, which it finally shook him. He was like, oh, oh, okay. And he stopped hunting around for something in the debris that was now everywhere inside of there. He went out and then I climbed out of my chair or my seat, got down onto the window, if you will, or the passenger's door window, did a quick search around, grabbed a radio, grabbed a bandolier of 203 rounds, grabbed the grenade launcher that went with it, slung it over my, my body, was looking everywhere for my rifle, which I could not find, and the flames were literally coming in. As a matter of fact, while I was sitting in the chair talking them through, I kept doing this, because <laughs> I was like, damn it, stop it, because the flames were coming around and trying to burn my face. Um, but then I had all that stuff, got out, moved away from the vehicle. You didn't have your rifle? No, it wasn't in the car. So all you have was what? A pistol and My pistol, your 203. A 203 and a bandolier of rounds. Holy shit, which yep. is what? Maybe 20 rounds tops? Probably. Yeah, I think it was 20 rounds if I'm not mistaken. How many operators are on the ground? Uh, so me and my partner who had unasked the vehicle unexpectedly and then the two guys that were driving the other vehicle, one of which stayed in the driver's position, the duck got out of the passenger's position and came and helped. Of course, like I said, the escorts, we had just trained on movement to contact two days prior. So they did exactly what we had just trained to do, surrounded the area, controlled it uh, while we we got out and later the guy that had unasked my passenger seat who was now running around screaming outside finally came up to me and smacked me in the chest he goes here's your rifle and i took it and i looked at it and it was so covered in soot and ash and crap i was like i don't think that's mine but whatever i got a rifle now i'm good you know so you're with you're with four operators four but we'll total. call three and a half because one's a fucking loser <laughs> So, but um, how many or how many liabilities? Uh, there were two in each car, so we then had to put our two in the other car. So you're babysitting four people. Four folks. You got three operators, and you got one guy that just lost his fucking mind. Yep. He wow. did get a nice award though because uh, you know, he was you the know. staffer. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works over there. Yep. Did anybody fire any shots after this? No, man. When I came out, um, before like from he... from you guys. Yeah, before he came up and jammed me in the chest with my rifle, I was literally scanning everywhere because at that time, they were hitting our forces and videotaping it and then selling those videotapes in the bazaar. And it was one of the ways that the Taliban and Al-Qaeda were making money. So I was looking searching for anybody around that was videotaping the whole thing. Didn't see anybody. So no, we didn't, we didn't have to fire a shot. Wow, nobody and nobody videoed. I remember when that was all happening because they actually videoed some Red Wing and I used to get these videos from our intel department and I would use them to kind of uh, 
it was almost like a pre-mission ritual to get my mind where I wanted it to be before we would go on ops. But, um, but they didn't video it. And you guys, I mean, that is, that shows a lot of discipline and that one shot was fired from you or your team after being hit with a fucking car bomb. Your shit's on fire. You got four liabilities that you're trying to keep some man in control over. You got one guy who's lost his fucking mind, and then the other two guys who sound like they're pretty solid. Yep. Do you think you had any TBI from that or any long, long-term injuries from that blast? I didn't bang my head or anything, and the overpressure was kept outside. Again, the, the vehicle was so new, it worked as advertised. Wow. Including the windshield falling out. When we went on my side, then we rolled up to the roof, <clears throat> went across the A-pillar, and the pressure of it being pushed on, the way the windshields are made, they're angled so outwards, so that pressure coming this way just makes it even tighter. But coming the other direction, they'll just pop right out. And that's what it did. So I didn't really, so you really feel anything. You were unscathed. Yeah, I had not a scratch on me, which is why the chief of base was like, I can't believe this. Because, you know, the other people had little bumps, bruises, stitches. Like I said, maybe a cracked rib on one person. They were kind of sore. The only thing I had was a little bit of singed hair up here from ducking the flames <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> but it grew back. All good. Wow. When you got out of the car, and I'm sure... You were getting situational awareness on the ground. Did you? Was there any residue of the car that hit you? Yeah, there was debris everywhere. Uh, I actually have some pictures. One of them is the guy that was driving the car. Um, his whole face just sitting on the ground. Got a gory but great picture of the the dude's last moment on earth. No shit, so yeah. his head yeah. is on the, I mean, I've seen that before. Yeah. Usually it's from a suicide bomber, not a car bomb. Right, with because, a belt. Yeah, yeah, because their head is, a, goes when they detonate, their head goes up in the air and everything else is just turns into, you know, pink mist. But this, so this dude's head, so he looked into his eyes again for a second time, he just, you know, Yep. Wasn't mentally present anymore. He was there, but he was no longer there. Well, you know, I'm sure he was there in spirit. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, wow. And you have pictures of that. Yeah, I do. I don't know if we can put those on the channel or not. But it's it's kind of graphic. I'd like to see them. I'd be happy to show you to you. So, I mean, that, well, that's a pretty damn fitting call sign. Was anybody... How the fuck did you get out of there? You're, you're down a vehicle. Yep. Was anybody coming to get you? Did you have comms with anybody higher? Well, we, we just let them know through the SATCOM that we had that we had been hit. We had recovered all passengers and we were continuing mission. So basically we jammed all of our packs into the first vehicle. So now they're literally sardines. We had one person sitting in the very back with their luggage you know, kind of laid out across it, and the three of them pinned in. 
it doesn't sound like that would be that tight, but as you and I both mm -hmm. know, you're wearing full body armor, which they only wear it when they got to move. So it's not stuff that fits them. It's just big bulky stuff to keep them safe. So they're jammed in there. So Duck and I, you know, my, my right seat guy ended up taking the right seat of the other vehicle. And then Duck and I got in the back seat of our escorts pickup truck and we actually let it out. So the remaining vehicle followed us in the lead gun truck. So now we're literally riding in a thin skin with the locals. And then the tail gun truck came up behind us and now three vehicles continued on to Kennehar Airfield. Wow. In fact, we had to calm the driver down because he was going so fucking fast. We were both afraid that he was going to wreck and kill us after we just lived through this crazy <laughs> How shit. How was that? <laughs> hey, dude, chill out, man. It's, like, it's hey, just man, the car bomb, okay. no big deal. S slow down just a little bit. And he was like, huh, huh, huh. It's like, <laughs> no, no, it's good, it's good. Just slow down a little bit, a little bit, slow down. And he kind of slowed down like, good, good, yes, good. And we, we were still going really fast, but we, the car was, or the truck wasn't going <laughs> so bad it felt like the front end was going to fall off or he was going to lose control. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of a funny after effect. In fact, uh, Duck and I looked at each other and he goes, dude, I hate to sound so crass, but I so wish I had my camera because when that car blew up, it was spectacular. It was like something out of a movie. I mean, our car, when we were out of it, because it was pissing fuel out the tank because of the heat from all the flames, and that fuel was coming out raw, but where it ended, it was on fire. So it was like your flamethrower over here in much grander scale. And it's like as the fuel level went down, it worked its way back, and when it got to the vehicle, that whole thing went boom, boom. And it was like a three-story high fireball. Holy shit. Yeah, I was standing about 50 feet away from it and went, wow. <laughs> I will never forget when I, when I saw where they put the car and they let us go look at it. And uh, I mean, still to this day, even looking at the picture, I just can't believe anybody survived that. And then at the same time, we had no idea agency personnel were even there. Right. We had just gotten there and I was like, holy shit, CIA's here? And, <laughs> and uh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> that was me. <laughs> yep, yep. We were getting blown up. But uh, last thing on this, do you think there's anything you could have done to prevent that? I mean, it doesn't sound like there was much. You could have taken a ma different route maybe, but I mean, all in all, you saw the threat. You didn't think he was a threat. He blows himself up. Is there anything you would have done different or could have done different to avoid that entire thing? Unfortunately, it was one of those situations where we had little to no choice on the route because there was only one way to get there. So you were channelized. Um, and I did see him, like I said, and I looked right at him and he gave me no indication whatsoever that he was a threat. And like I said, we knew there were threats. So we were looking for threats. We had really good intel, but you know, just because you know they're there, you don't know exactly which one it is. And if the guy doesn't look like he's doing anything wrong and he looks like he's complying with simple gestures, Drive on, move. You yeah. Know? Well, I mean, even even good intel. I mean, 
You okay. know, what are they going to tell you? A fucking white Toyota Corolla is a car bomb with a license plate number? That's like, over there, you're either driving a white Toyota Corolla or a fucking Toyota Hilux. Hilux, yep. Or a motorcycle, yep. and that's about it. Yep. So... How many intel reports did you see about a white Toyota Corolla possible or probable V-bed being in the area? And you'd be like, oh, look, another white Corolla yeah. that's going to kill us. You know? Yeah, it, it, got, it did. It got to be a fucking joke. It was. It's like, well, it, good so. job, guys. Every car in Afghanistan's a fucking white Toyota Corolla. Potential Thanks, lead thanks for the heads up. But uh, <laughs> so moving forward just a little bit, we finally... Got to work together mm -hmm. in in the Capitol in Kabul. We got into a little tiff that could have gone extremely bad. I needed backup. I called you. Unfortunately for you, you were eating an omelet and had to leave it. But um, and I lost a red shoe. Yep. But point being, you showed up, and I'm going to turn it over to you in just a second here, but. It was another example of how, of you using extreme restraint and, and, and an enormous amount of discipline. That could have gone really bad. Well, and I left because I had a couple of special people with me that uh, we needed to get the fuck out of there. But why don't you kind of talk about what happened um, after I left? Sure. Um... Like you said, we obviously responded to a QRF call. <clears throat> there was only me and another guy, and as we were running to the car, we ran across a, a third guy from our program who joined us immediately, so there was only three of us. Um, and when we got there, we recognized that you guys were blocked in. They weren't letting you out. Um, these were Afghan soldiers. They had guns. They had what was obviously some Afghan officer who was creating the difficulty. But what he had already done to you guys, and this was confirmed later by high-level agency people, we were cleared hot just to go in there and smoke his ass and let you out of there based on the rules of engagement. Now, just because you're authorized to do something doesn't always mean that's the right thing to do. Uh, in that situation, which we actually talked about before, it probably would have created an international incident had we done what we were authorized to do. So instead, I told the guys, just be cool, just act like everybody's everybody's friend, let's make sure nobody's pointing guns at each other, but stay close to the car doors so that if we need to take cover, we can use these armored doors, which bullets actually won't go through the armored doors, as cover. Um, the, this guy that we found out later was a colonel, was enraged for whatever reason because you guys happened to be sharing the same road space that he was that day. And he came over and approached me, and I was just like, hey, man, it's cool, let's calm down. And he was obviously speaking in, in whatever language that he was speaking in, Dari, Farsi, whatever, um, Pashto, I'm not sure but he was highly animated, so I wouldn't have been able to pick up on what language it was anyways. And I was like, it's okay, it's okay, no problem. You know, and I had my rifle, but I intentionally held it down because I knew I could use it if I needed, but let's keep it so that it's not threatening. Try to defuse the situation. And it worked, but the guy, as a parting gift, decided that he was 
because he was doing this a lot. And then he was standing pretty close to me and I was starting to get a little uncomfortable with how close he was. But every, nobody was pulling guns, nobody was shooting, so it was okay. And we had it covered if he went the other direction. But he did take his hand at one point in time and he like reached out and did that and hit me in the throat, indicating he would cut my throat. And at that point in time, that's where the real restraint came in. Because yeah. now I'm wanting to subdue this guy, roll him up and take him back for some extracurricular questioning with our people. But instead, I decided to get everybody just back into the car because they couldn't go anywhere. We were now blocking them. We got you out of there because that was the priority, getting the packs away from the scene. And uh, we just literally wouldn't let them leave until our Afghan QRF came, surrounded all of them, and then we got all the information that we needed from them. And then the next day, we went and paid him a visit with some very interesting Afghan intelligence people who outranked him. Some other people. Some other people. I mean, he was he was pissed. I mean, I kicked the shit out of him right in front of all his fucking buddies before he showed up. So that son of a bitch did get my shoe. But <clears throat> but point being, you showed a hell of a lot of restraint. Again, you totally could have fucking killed everybody involved in that that was not an American, and and you didn't, and you did save it from being an international incident. I want you to tell these stories because I want to show the level of restraint that you have leading up to what happened December 27th. Yep, 27th, two days after Christmas. 2018. Yep. I was sitting at home, I get a phone call from your employee at Cerakote Nation. You were working at, your, it was your business. You were one of the owners of Cerakote Nation and your employee calls me and tells me that you hadn't been to work in, I believe, three days because I got the call on the 30th. You just left my house. He's like, ah, you know, this isn't like Don, you know, and I'm like, yeah, no shit, it's not like Don. You'd been gone for three days, according to him. I punch up your name, start Googling your name, and I'll be damned, all these fucking articles start coming up. And none of the articles, I think there was three or four of them maybe, one of the articles says you would open fire on somebody over a road rage incident. Another article said somebody had opened fire on you. Another one said you're in the hospital. Somebody else is in the hospital. None of the shit jived. I had not met your wife Pam at the time. Found her on Facebook and your son, who I had not met either. And Luckily, they messaged me back, and um, we hit the road and spent New Year's Eve in the hospital where you were recovering. So why don't you, I know that there's only so much you can tell us because it's in litigation right now, correct? Yeah. Tell us what you can about the actual incident and where it happened. Sure. So it happened on the Macon County line. The shop was just inside the Macon County line and I went north into Monroe County on the way home and I wasn't very far into Monroe County when 
uh, all this went down. This Obvious, is Georgia, correct? Yeah, this is all Georgia. Yeah, middle Georgia. Um, obviously, because there is an open case, criminal case, with all of this, uh, where I've been indicted. We can't get into a lot of the specifics, but I will say that a an ice cream salesman who has a history of domestic violence, as a matter of fact, he has a documented history of domestic violence. Are those all different incidents that he's been... This is a, a, a court document where he was issued a restraining order to stay away from family members and was also ordered to undergo a batterer's intervention program. So, you know, I don't know the specifics of it. All I know is obviously this guy's got a background with it. There's a history of violence. There's a history of violence there. And he also admitted in his statement, because we've had discovery and I've seen his statement, that he was road raging. So do the other people that were with him. Before we get into specifics, what are you being indicted for? Aggravated assault. And I think it's possession of a firearm during the commission of a crime, I want to say, is the other one. Okay. Something to do with having a firearm while it went down. Right now, I already know the answer to this, but you need to say it. Are you innocent? Fuck yeah, I'm innocent. They literally have the situation 180 degrees. And think about it. He gives a statement, I'm fucking bleeding out on the ground, and then go to the trauma center where I later, 24 hours later, more than 24 hours later, undergo brain surgery. I never said much of anything until over two weeks later when I was well enough to actually tell my side of what had just went down that, or what had went down that day. Uh, But by that time, a strange thing had gone really disturbingly wrong. Apparently, even though they had my driver's license, got my license plate on my pickup truck, got my VIN number, got everything they need to identify who I am, they pulled the background of a career felon. Instead of you? Instead of me, they literally told Pam, and you know what, she's gonna do a much better job of telling that story than I can, but the guy said that I was a career felon with a rap sheet as long as your arm, including that with felony convictions, including drug convictions, who had no legal right to be in possession of a firearm. So they threw everything out the window, it seems, and just said, yeah, he's guilty. Let's wrap this shit up and go home, boys. But did they think you were dead? I, you know, I can only speculate, but it seems like they thought I was dead or about to die. So they just blamed the shit on me and said, let's wrap this up and go home. What did you get shot in the head with? A 38 revolver. A 38? Yep. Little snub nose pistol. I knew what it was as soon as I saw it, as soon as he was pointing it at me. I want to put a picture up right now on YouTube showing where you got shot in the head. Okay. So there it is. <clears throat> yeah, it's not pretty. Yeah. It's in fact, not. it's pretty gnarly. Yeah. Chick Stig scars though, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you're shot in the head by a 38 revolver. Were you, I mean, was it instant lights out? There's, there's not a whole hell of a lot of people in the world that live to tell the tale of being shot 
in the head? Was it lights out? Do you, do you remember? I don't remember being hit. Okay. What's your first memory after being hit? Um, there was some real foggy stuff. I was in and out of consciousness. Um, the, the first real memory, I was actually in the emergency room of this trauma center being wheeled around. Uh, because I remember the movement was really, really difficult because moving at all at that point, you know, with a freaking bullet in your brain was uh, messing with the, the wound, the injury. The bullet was... It, it was inside my skull. It's in there. Yeah. Is it still in there? Well, there it, it was... I, I'm guessing that it was a hollow point, and I think that's an educated guess, but it turned into a bunch of shrapnel pieces once it hit my skull. It, it broke my skull. I have a, a indentation to this day, and of course it popped or shattered pieces in other areas where I got hairline fractures, spiral fractures, just a lot of shit. And the bullet fragments went in and they're literally sitting on the artery that feeds the right hemisphere of my brain. So they're Holy literally shit. surrounding it. Sharp little shards of steel, lead, are sitting on top of that artery. I put the x-rays on the screen right now. Yeah, so big concern is obviously with the doctors, it's common to have seizures around the one year mark. If I have a seizure, one of those shards will almost certainly poke through that artery and it'll kill me. Well, we're right out of here. Yep. And uh, yep. CBD, your old brother. call sign was lucky. Yep. So let's uh, pray that that continues. Yeah, well, with the help of CBD, because um, I tried using their anti-seizure medicine for a few weeks and it just made me violently ill. So I switched to CBD. Um, now I live in Florida and I actually take medical grade CBD in Florida. Um, but that shit's magic. Well, that's good to hear that something's helping you, man. Yeah. So where was Pam during all this? You're in the hospital. We talked about your first memory. You're getting wheeled around. Where's, where's your wife? She's at home wondering where the hell I am. Well, speaking of your wife, we actually have her on the line, so. Hey, Pam, how are you? I'm good, how are you guys doing? I'm doing pretty good. So I have your husband sitting here, and we just got to the part where he was shot in the head. Now he's in the hospital. You don't know where he's at. Can you kind of walk us through a sequence of events on what happened from your perspective and also how you were treated after your husband's just been shot in the head? Sure. Um, usually Don beats me home from work. Um, so as the hours went by and I could not reach him by phone or text, um, Every hour that ticked by, I was getting more concerned, scared, obviously, extremely worried. Um, it was raining really hard that night, um, so I had no idea what happened. I just knew something was wrong. 
um, I literally got to a point where I called every hospital in Georgia and was told that he was not at any of the hospitals I called. Um, a few of them I actually called twice um, because I thought the response that I got when I called was a little off. Um, anyways, finally, um, my son became as worried as I was after, you know, obviously the hours went by. And uh, we figured out Don's password finally. And my son and I tracked his phone. You found him by tracking his phone? Yes. And Don's not a bar hopper or anything like He's not a drinker. Oh, no, he definitely no. wasn't at the bar. You know 100% something's going on. Exactly. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, I, I, I knew I could sense something was wrong, but I just had no idea what. Um, we pinged his phone, and um, it pinged behind a fire station. So I, of course, looked up the number and called the fire station right away, told them, um, my husband has been missing since 3 o'clock in the afternoon was the last time I spoke with him. And um, his phone is pinging behind your fire station. I said, can you please tell me what's behind the fire station? And um, the fireman told me that it was a holding lot. And we've never had any contact at all at all. So I had no, I said to him, what is a holding lot? I had no idea. How long had he been missing at this point? Um, this was about one o'clock in the morning that we finally um, pinged his phone. Okay. And, and um, Dom, are you conscious at all at this time? Completely out. I don't remember any of that. They had me on morphine drip. Yeah. Um, the fireman actually put me on hold and um, got me the number to the police department, and um, then I called the police department. And I never called the police department before this because Don's never been in any type of trouble, so I knew he wasn't going to be at the police department, you know. Whoop. It's just totally out of line. My thing was with the weather situation that... Um, you know, something might have happened. What police department did you contact? It was uh, the Monroe County Sheriff's Department. Okay. And um, so I called there and actually spoke to a um, corporal <laughs> and, um, and my son, of course, was with me this whole time. We had this guy on speakerphone. And, um, yeah, um, and told me that they had my husband and um, they were processing him, but he was injured, but they're processing him. And so me never dealing with, like I said, the police before, I assumed Don was at the police department and, I mean, he had a cut on his hand or something. I mean, I had no clue. And um, I said, is there a reason that he hasn't been able to, is there a reason he hasn't called me yet? They mean processing as in processing like you're going to jail? Exactly. Exactly. And you don't know he's been shot in the head at this point? Oh, no. 
Oh, no, I have no idea. I'm literally thinking that he's at the jail, and he's, I'm assuming he's got a cut on his hand or something, you know? I I have no clue. And um, anyways, I had asked, you know, is there a reason he hasn't been able to call me yet? Because here I am, scared to death what's happened. And um, he said, oh, man, sometimes this takes some time. So I was like, okay, and I hung up the phone with this guy, not knowing what else to ask or, you know. Anyways, I called back about 10 minutes later and said, hey, when is visitation hours tomorrow? Because I'm thinking I will be at the police department 10 minutes before I can go see him and find out what in the hell is going on. And um, then I'm informed by this corporal that Don is not there. And I cannot go see him. And I'm like, sir, I just hung up the phone with you. You know, you told me you're processing my husband and he's injured. And he said, yes, ma'am, but um, he's not here. He's at the hospital. And I screamed, he's at the hospital? He said, yes, ma'am, he's been shot in the head. Holy shit. And um, I literally hit the floor. Um, started screaming, is he alive? And I don't know why I said this, but I said, can he talk? I, weird things go through your mind in these situations. And anyways, um, put me on hold for about, it seemed like five minutes or so. And he came back and he said, your husband is alive. And I said, well, I'm going, I said to my son and he could hear, I'm going to put jeans on. And said, you need to stop. You'll be arrested if you go anywhere near the hospital. They were going to arrest you. Arrest me. To go. my son if we went anywhere near the hospital. To visit your husband who was just shot in the head. Yes. So what did they tell you to do? Anything? Um, He told me that I had to wait until 8 o'clock the next morning. When investigator or lieutenant would be able to answer some questions for us. Um, I asked if there was a reason why uh, investigator and our lieutenant hadn't called me at that point, you know, before this time. And um, I was told that, well, ma'am, it was shift change. And I was just floored. Um, needless to say, I was up all night worried to death about my husband who had just been told he was shot in the head. Wow. At 8 o'clock the next morning, I was on the phone with investigator and he told me he won't believe this. He said, um, your husband's a career criminal with a rap sheet as long as your arm. He said um, he has several felony charges, including drug convictions, so he's not even legally allowed to possess a gun. Holy shit. And the whole time he's telling me this, I'm crying, of course. And um, Anderson then proceeds to tell me um, what he thought happened to Don, which turned out to be his inaccurate is the background check that they pulled on my husband. So they 
pulled the wrong rap sheet on your husband and told you that he was a career criminal after he'd been shot in the head and nobody's seen him yet other than the doctor and the officer who's guarding his hospital room that you're not allowed to go see. Exactly. Um, and then and, um, told me that Don was in a local trauma center and he again, again repeated that if my son or I went anywhere near the hospital, we would be arrested. Holy shit. Um, I was telling the nonstop through this that um, that is not my husband. You've got the wrong man. I told him, you know, we've been married over 30 years. You've got the wrong guy here. Something's not right. And this proceeded to tell me that if I'd been married um, to this career criminal, as long as I told him I had been, that he found it hard to believe that I wasn't aware of his criminal record. Wow. Um, then Anderson proceeded to tell me that my husband had been shot in the head. He will be having surgery, and they will be putting the metal plate in his head. And if, again, if we go anywhere near the hospital, we'll be arrested. So what... I literally, so... I literally stood up and hit the floor. When I could finally talk, I was literally screaming. Sorry. That's um, okay. They're yeah. going to put a plate in his head. They're going to put a plate in his head. And I stood up again and hit the floor again. Um, by the way, he does not have a plate in his head. At 10 a.m., approximately 10 a.m. the next morning. So this is now about 18 hours after my husband had been shot. I was told, got a phone call from that said something that came to light. And I could go to ICU and see my husband. So what was it like when you got to the hospital and you saw your husband oh for the God, first time? Um, the total shock 
seeing it all was just overwhelming. Um, I stayed extremely calm once I was with him, which was really surprising. Um, but I ran right to him and grabbed his hand and said, baby, I'm here. Was Don responsive? Do you remember this, Don? He... Kinda. So you were like in and out oh, yeah, at this point? Oh yeah, fucked up, bro. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why. Sure. <laughs> You've been blown up. Yeah. But uh, I'm just kidding. But did the relationship with Monroe County Sheriff's Department improve after they had realized that they had given you the wrong fucking rap sheet and allowed oh, no. you to go to the hospital and and see? Your husband? Did they did they get any better? Did they improve? Did oh my they apologize? God. I was I was actually, oh God no. I was actually told by a and I told him on the phone at one point that um I had to have Don's cell phone. Um I said, you know, I've gotta get in touch with his shop. I've gotta let somebody know what's going on. Um and and told me that he would be, he would bring the cell phone to Don's hospital. Well, needless to say, um, he did not do that. Um, and I did not speak with him again at that point. Um, it got to a point where I couldn't even communicate with people. Um, I had the words, but I couldn't get the words out. Um, and the only time I was calmed down a little bit was when I was actually with Don. Um, it was just crazy. Um, and a lot of things happened during this process, too. The way they treated my son, myself, and my husband uh, is just totally unacceptable. Yeah, I remember... I showed up, me and Katie showed up shortly after this part, and um, I don't want to make you go into it any farther, but I just want to say thank you for reliving that with us, and um, I, I appreciate you taking our call. And um, Don, you have anything? Love you, baby. I love you, too. All right, Pam. Of course. Um, I don't care if you're purple or green or red or blue. Nobody should be treated the way Monroe County Sheriff's Department treated my family. Nobody. Yeah, that's for damn sure. And I still struggle with, I have no idea how to thank the people from me that night. I uh, thank the nurses and the doctors for keeping my husband alive. I thank, you know, my son who, wow, we raised such a strong young man who helped me so much through all of this. My boss, my coworkers, my mother who financially stepped up and helped us clock tower at Ninja and Keith and you and Katie. Kurt and, Kirk and Jamie Meehan, 
my house that I stopped. Um, I, I just, how do you thank these people? Well, you just did. And it just shows you guys got a lot of love coming towards you. And, uh, you know, we're all praying for you. So, all right, Pam, we're going to let you go for now. All right, love you guys. Love you too. Love you too. Thank you. All right, bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was pretty emotional. What's it like to hear your wife tell that story? It rips my fucking heart out, dude. That's, we've been married for 35 years. She has... We dated for two years before we were married. We know each other. That's my best friend. And that guy talked to her like she was white trash that was beneath him. And I'll never forgive him for that. That's tough to listen to, man. Yeah. I mean, to be treated like that, 14 years in the military, a Green Beret, a SEER instructor in the Air Force, then how many years did you do at the agency? Eight years. 21 trips. Eight years at the agency. 21 trips. 21 trips. Fuck, I think you had me beat. But 21 trips with the agency. They mistake your record for a fucking criminal's record. They don't correct it. And the next thing you know, and if I'm mistaken, correct me, but this goes to the news. Yeah, the, the, that's really one of the disturbing things that happened was first of all, they misidentified who I was and who, what my background is. I mean, because when you pull it up, whatever their computer system is that they look at it, it should have had nothing next to me. Maybe a speeding ticket, you know. Um, but the sheriff, who coincidentally had just been sworn in one week to the day before this went down, within moments of this happening, he went on TV and he's basically talking all this interpretation of what he thought happened, even though one, obviously he wasn't there, two, he didn't have any statement or information from me, and three, he thought I was a career criminal. So the sheriff went on public television? Yes. And mistakenly ruined your name by giving somebody a criminal's rap sheet saying that it's your rap sheet. No, he did not. Okay, that's incorrect. He did not say that I was a criminal. He believed I was a criminal, went on TV and exonerated the person who had attacked me wow. and then didn't say I was guilty but left the only thing, you know, the 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 so he went on TV, he didn't say I was a criminal, he went on believing I was a criminal, and then he said things that exon in his mind and in the viewing audience's mind exonerated the person who had attacked me, which left the only conclusion in their minds to be that I was the attacker. And it's literally 180 degrees off. So are they going, did they apologize for doing that? <laughs> <laughs> well, the sheriff, whose name is um, literally just decided to keep moving forward. Holy shit. Because I didn't even come in until over two weeks after it happened 
where I was healthy enough to give a statement. And when I got there, all they wanted to do was throw handcuffs on me and put me under the jail somewhere. They, would, they didn't listen to anything we said. They, I mean, they heard it, but they weren't listening. In fact, the guy even said to me at one point in time, because I had an attorney with me, I'm not an idiot. He said to me at one time, you ready to change your story yet? And I said, the only, if I changed my story, I'd have to lie. I'm telling you the truth. So anyways. Holy shit. They're an interesting group. And coincidentally, you know, obviously in the aftermath of that, we started doing a little research about what's going on here. You know, how could they be so off in their conclusions when they hadn't even conducted an investigation, but yet they ran with it as though everything was clear cut. Well, then we find the previous New Year's Eve, the same sheriff's department had pulled over a couple for allegedly having too dark of tint on their car windows. Turned out it wasn't too dark. So since they're there, they decided to search the car. There's nothing in the car, but there's a bag of cotton candy, which they identified as methamphetamine and arrested the woman for some reason. I guess she probably said it was my, I don't know. I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but they arrested her for a bag of cotton candy and then held her in jail for three months until the Georgia Bureau of Investigation did a test on it and said, yeah, it's cotton candy, guys. Then they held her for three more days before they let her go. This is the exact same? Exact same Sheriff's Department. And as a matter of fact- So there's you, a history of this shit. Yeah, when you Google it, the same investigator's name comes up on the, uh, the news reports. So I don't know what the connection is between them, but you know, it's starting to look like maybe there's something going on there. And then- Is it- are these, are these articles online? Can I link yeah, these? Yeah, please do. Link them all. All you got to do is Google Georgia woman arrested for cotton candy. You'll see the dash cam. You'll read the whole story. And you'll see the name of the investigator who also was the investigator on my case when mysteriously my background check comes back as a career criminal instead of somebody who's never been in trouble and had a top secret security clearance. Are there any more examples of... That there's some disturbing things that continue to come out of that department. So four months before I was shot in August, one of their deputies gets busted because a Fox 5 I-Team investigator gets a recording from a woman where a Monroe County Sheriff's deputy had arrested her for DUI and drug charges and then called her a couple of days later, apparently, or allegedly, whatever, and picked her up in his personal pickup truck, drove her into the woods, and told her, because this is on the recording and you can hear this, that he would go to the DA and work something out on her charges if he just, you know, give me a little blowjob, we'll take care of it right now. You gotta be shitting me, and this is a, this is a recording that you can pull up and listen to? Yep, yep. Holy shit. And then after that, um, after my incident, which was four months later, the next thing that happens, which just happened uh, in December, the end of December, another one of their deputies, while wearing insignia, and this is on the Monroe County Sheriff's Department Facebook page, you can read it right there. While wearing Monroe County Sheriff's Department insignia, identifying himself as a deputy, gets busted in a neighboring county's drug sting. Wow. So he's been arrested, charged, fired, 
just like the previous guy. Well then, man, me and you, you came here a couple days ago. We actually tried the podcast. Your TBI, traumatic brain injury, got the best of you. We had to take a break. And um, we find the article. I Googled him. Yep. What's the first thing that came up? That they had just killed the guy while they were booking him into the jail. So there's a lot of history. That Well, cotton candy, blowjob cop, this freaking military and CIA professional is a career criminal. The uh, uh, buying drugs while wearing insignia, identifying him as a cop, and now they just killed the guy while they were booking him into jail over an altercation is what it says. I don't know the specifics. And nobody's looking into your stuff yet other than your attorney and it, a couple of friends like yeah. me and some yeah. other people that we know. I'm so sorry that you're having to go through this. Um, I mean, I know that you, you had to sell your house, you sold your motorcycle, you sold your truck, you sold just about everything just to be able to pay for an attorney to prove that you're innocent. I mean, and you moved out of Georgia to Florida, your home state, how long have you lived in Georgia? Almost 25 years. 25 fucking years you lived there, called it home, and now you have to leave because you feel threatened by a fucking sheriff's department? Yep, very true. That's fucking disgusting. Just to put things in per perspective here, you asked, me to, to write a letter. Yes. How many letters from agency personnel, military personnel, special operations, I mean, people who hold integrity to them in, in the highest regards, how many letters did you get? I got them from everybody I asked. Not only did they write them, but they were like, I'll expose my cover and testify for you because there's no way they got this right. I've seen you in action. I've seen you show tremendous restraint. There's no fucking way what they're saying happened, happened. What do you need me to do? I'm there for you. Did that have any effect at all? Um, you know, it'll probably hold some sway over the jury if it gets to that point, which it looks like it will, quite frankly. But the sheriff's department doesn't give a shit. They made up their mind early on uh, and ran with it. Why the fuck do you think they're doing this to you? Uh, dude, I, I don't know. I can't, I can only speculate. Um, but it is interesting to know that the incidences that we just mentioned, they didn't unearth any of those. Every one of them was brought to their attention by an outside agency or by a news crew or outside individuals. So they don't seem to be real big on looking deeply into things concerning them, but they're all over anything that they can really just hammer the shit out of people for if they feel justified in doing so. They're not public servants. They are more, it feels like they're even at war with the people that they should be protecting. Well, let's talk a little bit about how you're dealing, how's your health? And I know being shot in the head has changed 
Yeah. It's changed a lot of uh, pretty much everything about your life. And I mean, we can't even get through. Yeah. We tried how many, two or three different times to make this podcast and the, the brain injury just gets in the way every time you get dizzy. Yep. Can you tell us a little bit about how this has changed your daily life and, and, and your wife and your son and your daughter? And Yeah, well, uh, the first off, it's very, very traumatic and uh, has been damaging to Pam. Pam is the strongest person. She's been with me through the entire military career, all the deployments, all the CIA time. She found out later that I'd been blown up and obviously she was very concerned about that, but she handled everything like a trooper, strong woman. This has destroyed her. I mean, she has panic attacks. She's on medication to keep calm because when she starts thinking about it, well, you heard her on the phone. Her voice just shakes uncontrollably. She has a hard time even saying the words because it's just so overwhelming to her. Um, as far as me, yeah, I'm fucked up, bro. I mean, I got shot in the head. <laughs> yeah. So I've got residual issues. I have permanent balance issues, as you've seen. Uh, and sometimes the dizziness overwhelms me. It, it can even sweep me off my feet if I'm standing up. So I have to be careful. Helps a lot if I'm, I got my elbows on things because it's like my internal gyroscope's no longer working correctly. Uh, it does for short bursts, but then in the long term, it, it just starts going crazy and I get really dizzy really fast, start stumbling. Um, a lot of times I just have to lay down. So, you know, like you mentioned, we, we tried to do this a couple of times and I just start falling out because I fade. And when I fade, I can't get the words that are in my mind to come out of my mouth so that I can make comprehensive sentences and statements. So it's interesting, it's difficult, but... Uh, what are the doctors saying? I mean, is there gonna be improvement? Do they know? So they don't really know. They told Pam from the beginning, expect a new norm. You know, he's not gonna be the same, possibly ever. He may get a little bit better, he may not get any better. Um, I have gotten a little bit better, thank God. But it could take the rest of my life to get any better than I am right now, or I may not get any better at all. Or who knows, it could get, could get better a little bit every year. Nobody knows. Like I mentioned before, I got bullet shrapnel, sharp shards of metal sitting on the artery that feeds the entire right hemisphere of my brain. So if I do have a seizure, I'm done. Or if you get hit in fall the, head. the wrong way. Yeah. yeah, if I fall because I get dizzy, it's bump over. my head, eh, it's probably over, you know? So. Then you have all the stress from the lawsuit, so. Well, it's not a lawsuit, it's a criminal prosecution that they're running against me. So they're prosecuting you. You just got done with the discovery phase, correct? Correct. If you're found guilty, which I'm praying and I know you won't because you're lucky. And I've got the and truth on my unlucky, side. But um, what do you, what, say you're found guilty, what are you looking at? Up to 22 years in prison. I will die in prison if it came to that because I ain't gonna live to be in my 80s. Not with this road hard and put away body that I'm walking around in. Fuck, dude. Yeah, it's pretty serious, you know? It's, uh, 
another near-death experience in my life. And uh, this one, unfortunately, has an after effect that I have to contend with in the form of some very aggressive, uh, militant people that apparently would rather be out killing terrorists than being sheriffs, but they're sheriffs, so they seem to be acting kind of the same way. Actually, no, we wouldn't put up with the way that they're acting where we came from. They wouldn't last. I just fucking hate that this is happening to you. I don't want to keep going on because I don't want, I don't want you to have an episode with your TBI. Is there anything you want people to know before we wrap this up? Well, the first thing I want them to know, without a shadow of a doubt, I didn't do what they said I did. And I am more stunned than anybody that they came to the conclusions that they came to, especially after we went in and clearly showed them that that's not the case. But they just literally wouldn't hear it. So there's something amiss in the Monroe County Sheriff's Department. The people that are representing Georgia in the middle of Georgia are having some issues. And somebody, preferably somebody with some state or federal authority, needs to kind of look at what's going on there because this is a real trend. It's not just some guy that's under threat of prosecution saying, oh, they suck, they should all go to hell. This is real, this is legit. There is something going on there that's not right. There's some very disturbing facts that keep being brought to their attention because they're obviously not addressing it, which leads to the belief that, that it is a, uh, a command atmosphere. So you just want to get the story out. You want everybody to know what happened and maybe something will come of it. Well, I mean, the sheriff was very, very, very quick to go on TV and tell everybody that the other guy was surely innocent in this case, yeah. which again implies that I'm surely guilty in this case. So how is that innocent until proven guilty? He yeah. didn't even have a statement from me. Hell, they didn't even know my background. They thought I was a career criminal. So, you know, part of it is they need to do a better damn job and they need to know that. And nothing makes people do their job correctly more than public scrutiny. So thank you for having me here because this will definitely take another big step towards bringing that light into a very dark place. I'm just sorry you're going through this, man. I mean, I love you. I fucking hate seeing you go through this. I know, well, I don't know, but I see the physical um, hurdles that it's caused. And I see the emotional stress that you have from, I mean, from, from this happening and what potentially could happen. And I'm sorry, man. Um, is there anything anybody can do to help? Um. Well, first of all, thank you again, dude. It's fucking love you guys both. Thank you so much for letting me tell this story because obviously this is a lot to contend with and deal with and process. And uh, 
It's kind of fucked up our whole life. But as far as what can people do, I don't know, man. I don't know who's watching. Maybe there's somebody with federal authority that can do something. Um, Pam and I are starting over, because like you said, we fucking sold everything so we could afford a good attorney, uh, a, a real private investigator who's good at what they do. Uh, we're gonna have to hire an expert witness, you know, to prove that they fucked some shit up pretty badly when they did this so-called investigation. So, you know, anybody that can help us get real justice based on the truth and the real facts, fuck man, please contact me. Please contact you, you know, get to me through whatever. If there's something that you have that can legally be added to this, I'm all ears. Roger that. Well done. Love you, dude. Love you too, I'm praying for you. Thanks, man. My wife's praying for you. I know everybody watching this will be praying for you, and, and um, we'll be following you. Thank you. My pleasure. Finding suitable mental health medications can be a challenge. The GeneSight test may help. Did you know that genetics can play an important role in gaining insight on how a person may respond to various medications? Understanding this may help reduce medication trial and error. GeneSight is a genetic test that analyzes variations in DNA. It shows how genes may affect someone's metabolism or response to medications commonly prescribed to treat depression, anxiety, and other mental health conditions. Visit GeneSight.com for more information. Today's show is sponsored by HelixSleep.com. Sleep, especially as you get older, is so critical, especially that deep, comforting sleep. Go to HelixSleep.com and take the sleep quiz. I took it and was matched with the Midnight Lux. Helix knows that everyone's unique, so they have several different mattress models to match based on your body type and sleep preferences. Once you match, your mattress comes right to your front door, shipped for free. When you receive your Helix mattress, You'll be hooked. It's so easy to unbox and you won't believe how well you sleep. You'll wake up feeling rested and refreshed. Helix mattresses are fiberglass free and cradle your body for essential support in every sleeping position. They have a 10-year warranty and Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans. So a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash SRS. That's helixsleep.com slash SRS. This is their best offer yet, and it's not going to last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now.